This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. Two-pointer by LeBron. Good! Lakers with their biggest lead of the night. 14 points. 112 to 98. Here is D'Angelo Russell to the rim. Puts it up and in. Lakers by two. The Lakers get what they came for. Game one and sees home court against a Warriors team that has not been good on the road this year. We were able to get one in game one, but like I said, we haven't done anything. The Lakers were phenomenal last night in a 117-112 win over the Golden State Warriors game one of the Western Conference semifinals. 30 points from AD, 22 from LeBron James. The Lakers walked away with that win, but that got a conversation started that you are not going to believe. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Gabe Neitzel with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Highlights you heard there, courtesy of 710 ESPN Los Angeles. Gabe, we have some incredible people here who talk for a living at ESPN Radio, on the TV side of things, at ESPN, people who write a lot of things over at ESPN.com. Sometimes they say things that make you go, hmm. It's time for They Said What? They Said What? What? I have to believe one and one is three. I, I can't, I can't uh, operate where one and one is two. They Said What? Okay, that was Jerry Jones, and I still, <laughs> every time I hear that clip, have to like do the math in my head to make sure that the math is indeed accurate. But Stephen A. Smith, host of First Take, has Stephen Curry on the verge of knocking LeBron James off the Mount Rushmore? And I know everybody's Mount Rushmore is different. You can only get four up there. There's only room for four. I have not been to the Badlands of South Dakota, where I believe Mount Rushmore is, but you can't fit more than four. Stephen A. Smith revisiting Mount Rushmore today on First Take, saying this about a little switcheroo. If Steph Curry beats LeBron in this series, and dare I say, wins his fifth NBA championship. We might have to remove LeBron James off of Mount Rushmore and put Steph Curry on it. I'm not trying to say that Steph Curry belongs on it. I'm saying that it's a discussion. If he beats LeBron and he wins a fifth chip, it's a discussion that somebody can't just dismiss. You still might go with LeBron. Because LeBron is obviously a more complete, better all-around player. But the point is, you have to have the discussion if that happens. They said what? Do you have to have that discussion, Gabe? Uh, absolutely not. You absolutely do not need to have that discussion. Like, this is... I don't. I understand. Yes, we can get lost in the prisoner of the moment, and this is going to be quite possibly the most exciting semi, you know, conference semifinal series that we have going in the NBA with two stars of a generation. But one of those dudes has been carrying the NBA for almost twenty years, and earlier this year broke the league's all-time scoring record. So I. Look, especially in the NBA, especially with quarterbacks, we really get caught up in the rings discussion. How many rings do you have? But there are also other things that, you know, again, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the league, to me, has to count for something. And I don't think that's going to knock LeBron off of Mount Rushmore in favor of Steph Curry, who is fantastic, who has changed the game with the way that he can shoot. But also, as Stephen A. admitted in the clip, LeBron's a 
better all-around basketball player, and that's not going to change if the Warriors as a team defeat the Lakers as a team in this Western Conference semifinal match. And we will see as a team, good point there, if they're able to do it, if they're able to sustain the 44 minutes from AD, the 40 minutes from LeBron James that they got in Game 1 and take a two-game lead in this series. They still have to play at Chase Center in Game 2 before it shifts down to Los Angeles. I was looking up Mount Rushmore and trying to see if the gentleman who designed it is still alive. He is no longer with us because this happened many, many years ago. Yeah, that's that's not um, shocking. Not a shocking revelation. I, you know, just like one plus one equals three. I had to check <laughs> the math on that. There's space. There is space for other sure. faces. And I know that you know, these are presidents on the actual Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. But if you ask most people who's on their Mount Rushmore of the NBA – you're probably going to get an answer that has Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Bill Russell, LeBron James. I think by now when we take, think top ten list, Larry Bird's probably off that in favor of Steph Curry. I think there can be some maneuvering done here, Gabe. I think that we can actually maybe fit another face or two You want to go on fifth here. face? I mean, somebody's got to redesign the mountain. I don't know how easy that is, if it's stone or what the material is. I'm not a geologist. I don't know rocks, but um, <laughs> it could happen. Maybe. I don't know rocks. Maybe. Here's the, it speaks to the bigger thing. Like, we were talking about this yesterday when Darvin Ham and Steve Kerr both oh, say man. this is a great rivalry between LeBron James and Stephen Curry. When you're talking about changing the Mount Rushmore in the NBA between these two players and what who who accomplishes what in this series and as Steph goes on, let's say the Warriors win and wins his fifth ring, something that LeBron is also searching for. Tell me that's not a rivalry. Like that's the very basis of it, and it's becoming a conversation about changing the figurative Mount Rushmore of the greatest basketball players of all time? Got to stop you there, Courtney. The reason why Mount Rushmore arguments are so great, because it's limited at four. We can't expand this to five, because then you you get into your top five. No, Rushmore, four. Has to stop at four. We're not adding faces. We're not putting folks there. Got to stop it at four. Okay, I was just hypothesizing Stop about what it would look like to maybe put another face on there. I'm with you. Know, you. I'm hire, not put- hiring, you know, hiring somebody. <laughs> what kind of money that would cost? And I, I don't know if it's possible. Again, I'm not a geologist. I have no idea, like, the composition and how easy it is to chisel another face in there. And you'd be putting, I don't know, Steph, Steph or LeBron next to, like, George Washington. I don't know if that would be possible if we're actually doing it on the real Mount Rushmore. My figurative one I'm with you. I wouldn't add another one because then it's going to be there's 10 guys on Mount Rushmore. But to the overall point here, this is a conversation about why this is actually a rivalry between LeBron James and Stephen Curry and that it's not just a great matchup. It's a great rivalry between these two because of what they're going for, because of each other and each other's team standing in their way of getting there. I'm excited for it. I can't wait to see what they say on First Take and our other platforms and if any of it's going to get back on They Said What. But it's a fun conversation. And Stephen A., to his credit, said it's a conversation that needs to be had. He wasn't saying this absolutely has to happen. I like it, though. It gives us something to talk about here on Candy and Carlin, presented by Progressive Insurance, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. All right, let's get into the Warriors from last night because we've we've looked at the Jordan Poole shot from all angles, the – Last-ditch effort he had from about 45 feet out. When Stephen Curry's getting trapped in the half court, 
finds Jordan Poole via Draymond Green, and Jordan Poole pulls up and takes one of the worst threes I've ever seen in the history of the NBA. And I don't fault him for it. I don't fault him for doing it. He was 6 of 10 up until that point from three. But Gabe... There's something about catch and shoot. There's also something catch, shoot, dribble, and then take the shot. Uh, yeah, so you know, first of all, it's a 28-footer, so I understand you know, you had to, had to go to the 45 feet. It was only a 28-footer, which is still an incredibly deep three. But I, the kid can shoot, and, and I feel like his numbers are only going to continue to get better. I think he was 34 35% the last couple of seasons shooting threes, but he was especially hot last night. Six of ten, he's feeling it. And when you're down three especially when you get to under 10 seconds, you don't know when that foul is coming. Because most teams want to foul once they're up three. Now, they're not going to do it too close to the buzzer. They don't want to make sure that they, they want to make sure you're not fouling them in a three-point attempt. So him getting that shot off, especially from 28 feet, I didn't think it was that bad of a three-point attempt. I liked the shot. Now, did he have some space if he wanted to take a dribble or two forward? Sure. But maybe I'm scarred because I'm a Bucks fan. I'm here in Milwaukee, and I see what happens when you know you decide to pass up the open look and you start dribbling around. Next thing you know, the series is over before you get off an attempt at a game-winning or game-tying shot like the Bucks did last week with Grayson Allen. So when you sure. got the open look and you've got good shooters like Jordan Poole is and was in that game last night, I have zero problem with him taking that shot. And in fact, I really like the confidence that he has to take that shot in that situation because of all the attention that's paid to Stephen Curry and to Clay Thompson. And and that's where people get upset about this. Like, how could Steph not have taken that last shot for Golden State? Well, did you see what the Lakers were throwing at him? How could he have gotten a clean look off in that moment unless you would have been able to reset the offense in the half court and somehow have enough time to clear Steph for the shot. I understand you want your best shooter taking that shot, but Jordan Poole has been empowered by the Golden State Warriors as the understudy of Clay Thompson, more or less, in four years into this thing. He should be prepared in these moments to have these moments when they come to him to take those shots, and that's why the Golden State Warriors, after the game and after they've had time to kind of settle through this, were not upset about Jordan Poole being the one to take the last shot. Stephen Curry, Steve Kerr from the Warriors press conference last night had this to say about Poole's shot selection. I'm sure he felt pretty good about it. That's why he shot it. There's no regrets on that. It's just, you know, make or miss type situation. A lot of trust in him and his ability to put the ball in the basket. I had the timeouts left, but I saw them double teaming Steph at half court. So I knew somebody was going to be wide open if we could just get the ball uh, out. And Steph did a great job. He got the ball out of the trap and um, Jordan was wide open and pretty good look. And, um, you know, that's that's a shot he can hit. It was a good look. And it was he was the open guy. I just wanted him to catch the ball from Draymond Green and dribble it like one or two feet closer to the three-point sure. line. And I think that that's the only real argument you can make about this shot and not say, well, it has to be Stephen Curry or no one else. Like To me, that's unfair because Steph's going to draw a lot of attention. The guy just put up 50 points in a game seven to send this team into the Western Conference semifinals to begin with. He has to be at this spot in order to free up his teammates. That's going to happen. I just 
now would like to see if this if this comes up again. And I and I do appreciate the support. There were some weird things going on in the final sequence. I don't know. Did you catch Darvin Ham stepping <laughs> onto the floor, like going back to like his heyday as like an NBA player, like trying to swipe Jordan Poole? And there's one angle that makes it look a lot more close, a lot closer to where Jordan Poole was than it actually was. You got to watch the secondary angle. But in that moment, I'm like. What the heck just happened here? Wait, what was Darvin doing? Stepping, because he was really close again, because yes. it was a deep three from Jordan Poole, so he's right around where that coaching box is, and Darvin just took one step and just kind of, I don't know if he was trying to distract Jordan Poole. I don't, I don't know if Jordan Poole even noticed that he was there. I did not see it the first time around. I only saw it until you pointed it out, Courtney, earlier today. It was it was kind of funny to watch in, in the aftermath and in the retrospect. Like, wait, what is Darvin trying to do? In terms of, is, is he trying to be the sixth defender to make sure that Jordan Poole doesn't hit it? It was rather funny. If you have an opportunity to go on social media, I highly recommend trying to find this video because it is funny to see Darvin Ham doing what he can from the bench and maybe a foot onto the court to try to prevent Poole from hitting that shot. Our reminder, the NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Be sure to tune in tomorrow when the Warriors host the Lakers Game 2 of the Western Conference Semifinals. Coverage beginning 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time on most ESPN Radio stations and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Nine seconds on the shot clock. Harden for three. Shot up. It's good. Harden made a triple. The Sixers go up by two. Eight seconds to go. The Sixers have won game one. 119. 115. How about that? We didn't come in the game expecting to lose. You know what I mean? Like, we are here to win. And even after this game, I told the guys, don't get too happy. Like, we even kill. You know what I mean? Like, we're coming here to get game two as well. And so that's the mindset that we have as a unit. Courtney Cronin, Gabe Neitzel with you on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. So a couple hours away from tip-off between the 76ers and the Celtics, you can hear that game on select ESPN radio stations, coverage beginning 7.30 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Joel Embiid, barring a setback coming out of shoot-around and his usual pregame warm-ups, will be playing and will be available and playing in Game 2. We have not seen him, Gabe, on the floor since April 20th when he injured his knee in the series against the Brooklyn Nets. He's taken a lot of time off to heal this thing up. Apparently, it is a sprained LCL. We know he has dealt with knee injuries throughout his career, notably in the postseason. The cautious nature that he himself has has taken with his knee and his body, I think that's something that has to be noted. He spoke about this yesterday, listening to the doctor's advice, not trying to hurry himself back too much. But it is bringing the conversation to whether Joel Embiid, knowing that the 76ers have a 1-0 lead right now, the series is going back to Philly for Game 3, whether they should play him in Game 2, knowing all of those circumstances. Yeah, I, I just have a feeling that the doctors aren't going to put him out there unless and give him the okay if there's more damage he can do. I, I feel he has to play. You're in a situation where you're now one up on Boston. It seems like Boston's not as cohesive as they were a year ago when they went to the NBA Finals as the representative of the Eastern Conference, and especially with the Bucks already being knocked out of the playoffs, this kind of feels like the de facto Eastern Conference Finals. These were the other two really good teams in the East throughout the course of the year. And now that Embiid is back, if he, I mean, presuming that he plays tonight and he's ready to go, you've got an opportunity to really put 
the Celtics' backs against the wall. If you can beat them twice in Boston before you head back to Philly and put them in an advantageous spot, put a ton of pressure on a team that, if they have that pressure on them, I have no idea how Boston's going to respond. And if you can do that with Embiid, you have to do it. Because the reward to me is getting rest on the back end if you can turn this into a short series. The 76ers beat the Celtics by way of an epic Turn the clock back night from James Harden on Monday. 45 points on 17 of 30 shooting. So he was able to carry the offensive load. Tyrese Maxey was able to chip in as well, along with Tobias Harris uh, and DeAnthony Melton coming off the bench. But when you add Joel Embiid back into the mix, it becomes a completely different team for this Boston Celtics team to have to defend. They lost 119-115. And frankly... In moments, they looked discombobulated. The turnovers were one thing. I I remember in the first half of that game thinking how careless they were being with the ball. And, of course, when James Harden turns the ball over, it's not like he's going to be putting in max effort to try to get that turnover and and try to save his, his possession. But the Celtics, down the stretch of that game, where the turnovers had become the thing that plagued them the most, I could tell it was wearing on them. Not necessarily on Jason Tatum. He has been terrific throughout this the early part of this series, 39 points, 11 boards the other night, and combine that with the last game we saw him play against Atlanta, he scored 69 points in two games. To me, I don't know about the, I don't know, I want to say the confidence factor with this team. There's a level of disconnect, and I don't think I'm the mm-hmm. only one who can sense that watching it, and I don't know where it starts from. If it ends up being... Still some of the issues with this franchise and Jalen Brown and the uncertainty beyond this season, whether it's that duo themselves, because I feel like they have learned to coexist on the floor and play together well. I don't know what it is with the Celtics team. When the Milwaukee Bucks bowed out of the playoffs last week, the Celtics became the team with the best odds to win a championship. But I think if you were to take a straw poll and ask people, who do you have the most confidence in? That would not reflect what the odds are currently for the NBA champion this season. No, I would agree with that because that that disconnect, despite having the record that they've had, I, I don't know if it has been just kind of this this brewing, just unsatisfactory feeling that we get from Jalen Brown and kind of feel like he might not be there. Yes, they've been able to figure it out at times for the most part on the courts, But is that going to, when they really get some pressure, is that going to be able to withstand some sort of pressure? If they're down 2-0 in a series, if they're down 2-1 in a series, if they have and are facing some really must-win games, are they going to be able to keep the somewhat cohesiveness they've had throughout the course of the season? Just something feels off, especially after watching the Celtics team last year, as good as they were. Something just seems off, despite having a lot of the core back. And maybe part of that is a different coach than you had a year ago, and you're not able to kind of balance everything the way that you were able to a season ago. I, just it, It's tough to put your finger on, but something just does not feel right with this Boston team the way it did a season ago. I think it stems from what happened in the offseason and the entertaining the idea of pairing Jason Tatum, who very much is the centerpiece of this Celtics team. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that he's the alpha of this team, but he's the centerpiece of this team. And 
not speaking for Jalen Brown, but how I would perceive it is that he sometimes probably looks at this thing and feels like second fiddle because he is the secondary player. He is the player that has been paired with Jason Tatum, and there's been conversation about bringing somebody in bigger to pair with Jason Tatum. And I'm sure when they're entertaining all offers reportedly up until the trade deadline, and of course it would have been would have cost teams a lot to try to trade for him, I'm sure that gets to the player, and you find that you're not exactly somebody that they envision long-term, even though you helped them get to the NBA Finals last year and were arguably the most consistent piece of that team throughout their two-month run into the Golden State Warriors where they ended up losing in six games. I just, something's off. Something's off with this team. They desperately need a win tonight when this thing is about to shift back to Philadelphia for game three. They're going to have to defend differently than they did on Monday when they lost because Joel Embiid is expected to play in Game 2. Straight ahead, the New York Jets are expected to sign wide receiver Randall Cobb. Yes, you heard that correctly. Aaron Rodgers playing GM over in Florham Park. We get into that next here on Kenny and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. We was getting seated and he was like, we're about to sit by Jessica Alba. And I'm just like, oh, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I don't know who that is. And he just looked at me. He looked at me like I'm crazy. You know what I mean? Like the scene out of Step Brothers, Jets cornerback Sauce Gardner and his new quarterback Aaron Rodgers had to look at each other and say, 
Did we just become best friends? This is KNT and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Gabe Neitzel with you, sitting in for the guys. And that clip that we just heard of Sauce Gardner talking about sitting courtside at the Knicks game last night with his new teammate, Aaron Rodgers, and apparently he was so starstruck by all of the celebrities there. Amari, Amari Stoudemire was somebody who was able to point out they sat next to Jerry Ferrara from Entourage, Carmelo Anthony in the mix. But of all people, he did not know the Jessica Alba, <laughs> one of the symbols of the late 1990s, early 2000s in the mix with some of the most famous actresses of that generation. Like, Do we give him a pass for this? I think he's 24 years old. I, I think he should just know better. Yeah, know your pop culture. At, at, at 8, 9, 10 years old, like she was still doing relatively popular movies when he was 8, 9, or 10. And you would think that he would have stumbled across some of them, some of them being even children's films, that you would have just had a general awareness of who Jessica Alba is. Like it's yes. just, it's, when, when I heard this, I was just totally taken aback. Like how do you not know who this person is? It was... I still don't know how he doesn't know who Jessica Alba is at this point. Okay, he's 22 years old, so I I need to spot him two years here. I still don't think it's any excuse, but back to what happened last night. These two are among a whole lot of celebrities taking in a playoff game at Madison Square Garden, and it's quite a sight to see when you look at Aaron Rodgers' Instagram, Gabe. This is literally like big bro almost 40 years old, and then somebody 18 years younger than you in Sauce Gardner, you're taking them out for a night on the town. They went to Carbone to start out the night in New York, had some good food, and then they went to the game, and they get to see the Knicks win that big playoff game against the Miami Heat. And we're going to get into more of what that means for the Knicks as this series shifts down to Miami and what the Heat can expect when they play again on Saturday, if Jimmy Butler will be there or not. But – this was Celebrity Row. I mean, for Sauce oh. Gardner, who got picked over an offensive player, I don't know if I'm reading too much into that. Maybe Sauce was the only one who had a free Tuesday night, and Roger's like, hey, man, two tickets to the big game. You want to come <laughs> courtside at, at, at that, too? I just think it's a great sign for Rodgers ingratiating himself into not only the culture within, his, within the team, We've seen every single choreographed video of them in slow motion throwing passes and, you know, doing all the stuff they're doing during OTAs when there's no pressure, no contact. But I like this. I like seeing Rodgers chop it up with a younger defensive player, somebody who he's going to be going against in head-to-head battles in practice, and this is the reigning defensive play- rookie of the year in Sauce Gardner. I think it's a good way to – Build up some goodwill with this team to show, hey, I'm not just Aaron Rodgers, former Green Bay Packer, former, you know, four-time MVP coming in here. I'm trying to buy in to what you guys had already had going on. Of course, they want to elevate that culture and change what's going on with the wins, but... I like it. I think that this, to me, is a different sort of Rodgers where it's not just his way or the highway. He's on their turf now and you know, certainly seems to be getting along just fine with his new teammates. I get why you like it, and I completely understand why a Jets fan would like it. I, however, Courtney, I live in Milwaukee. I do a show in Milwaukee every day. I am a Green Bay Packers fan, and I hate this. I absolutely hate it 
because one of the biggest criticisms of Aaron Rodgers was he was unable to connect with his younger teammates. And, you know, he had mentioned this on the Pat McAfee show about how he struggled making those connections. Romeo Dobbs, one of the Packers' rookie draft picks from last season, said, yeah, we never really hung out with Aaron Rodgers outside the facility, and everybody kind of made the excuse for Aaron because it makes sense. Like, somebody who is 17, 18 years younger than you, you're probably not... Again, who knows if Romeo Dobbs has any idea who Jessica Alba is. You're not hanging out in the same circles. You're not making the same jokes. There's just a disconnect there because there's a generation between you. But here is Aaron Rodgers making the effort that he refused to make for the Green Bay Packers, going to Knicks games, showing up to offseason stuff for the Jets. It's, you know, I, I want to move on to my own team, but... It's everywhere. I can't avoid Aaron Rodgers' news. I can't avoid it when Aaron Rodgers shows up at Knicks games with Sauce Gardner. So it just becomes a little frustrating as a Packers fan. And look, I understand why Jets fans, and I it's generally a good thing if you are a Jets fan that Rodgers is putting in this effort. Just for me personally, it just stings a little bit. He's clearly capable of it. It was there the whole time. This is just his way to maybe pour some salt in the wound of people back in the state of Wisconsin, those who are tied to the Green Bay Packers, to see, hey, I'm living my life just fine over here. There's no love lost. Oh, and by the way, I still do have that ability to connect with players that are younger than me and be the cool guy in the room, but also somebody that they can learn from and somebody that can learn from them and be taught uh, how to ingratiate himself in New York climate in terms of like what he's going to face with the media every single day and within this locker room. But there's one thing that, you know, kind of sticks out to me. Why didn't Garrett Wilson, the guy he's going to be throwing a lot of passes to the reigning offensive rookie of the year, get the invite to game two of the Eastern conference semifinals. Here's Wilson today talking about the text that never came. I just asked him this morning. I said, I was trying to figure out why I couldn't get no tickets to the uh, to the Knicks game yesterday. And I was watching the ESPN broadcast. I see him and Sauce and, and all it, they were, uh, <laughs> their group taking up all the seats, you know. So I got to figure out how I can get in with them and bum a seat, you know, bum a seat, bum that fifth seat and see if it can. Because uh, honestly, I don't know, man. I really don't know. You know, I'm a homebody. I don't I don't reach out much. I don't text much. But, you know, I, I would love to uh, to tag along on one of them little, little trips to the city they've been going on. We'll figure it out soon. We'll figure it out. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to duplicate those efforts for Game 5 when the series shifts back to Madison Square Garden. Could be tough, though. One of those tickets is probably going to go to Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb is Aaron Rodgers' boy. I mean, Cobby's getting one of those tickets. I'll tell you that right now. Cobby is going to that Game 5 with Aaron Rodgers if they go. So I don't know who Garrett Wilson's going to have to bump out in order to get that invite. Is there another? He can go to the Devils game. Can Aaron Rodgers like shift his uh, hockey allegiances over to a team that's currently playing in the tri-state area? <laughs> I mean, Maybe he went to the game out... the other night, wasn't it? The Ra- he went to the Rangers game. He went with to Alan the Rangers Lazard. game. Yeah, he went to MSG. Yeah. Well, the Devils are still playing. I mean, that's a little bit further of a trip away. I don't know if it's actually closer to where they are in Florham Park, but Sauce. You may, Sauce can maybe go to that, and may, it's like it's like splitting the things. Like if you have siblings, like I'm, <laughs> I'll bring this kid to this game this time, and then it's your sister's turn to get a chance to go to Game Five of the Eastern Conference Finals. Who am I kidding? I never had those opportunities. Okay, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You're listening to Kenny and Carlin, Courtney Cronin, Gabe Neitzel. Straight ahead, Phoenix in an O2 hole. And they're going to have to forge on in this series without Chris Paul, at least for games three and four. Can they win this series without CP3? That's next, Candy and Carlin. 
Monty and Carlin, the podcast. Jokic got it, and that ought to do it. Denver leads it by 10. There's the horn. Denver takes a two-game to nil lead in the Western Conference semifinals. Hey, man, Nicole's an MVP for a reason. He can take over a game. He can beat you in a lot of different ways, but I love an aggressive Nicole Jokic. I love a guy that's getting to the basket and posing his will upon the other team. The Suns forced Nikola Jokic to beat them, and he sure did in Game 2. The Nuggets have a 2-0 lead in their Western Conference semifinal series with Phoenix, that series shifting back to Phoenix on Friday. And the Suns have to even this series out, or at least attempt to, very likely without Chris Paul. Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. We know that the Suns right now, Gabe Neitzel, Courtney Cronin with you on this Wednesday. The Suns are listing Paul as day-to-day. He's got a left groin strain, which he suffered in Game 2. Woj is reporting that the ser- his status for the next two games is kind of up in the air. In doubt is the word that's being used. He's expected to go and try to return... But the possibility of getting back for Game 3 seems like a challenge. And I, and I say this with some pause in my voice because I'm trying to find the right words to be sensitive about this situation with Chris Paul. Because, frankly, we talk about this conversation every year. If you were to close your eyes and you're hearing me talk about this on ESPN Radio or Sirius XM Channel 80, you might be thinking, this is 2021 when he had the hamstring injury uh, or, you know, 2020, excuse me, 2021 when it was the COVID-19 thing, and 2018 when he had the hamstring injury in the postseason when his team was down the Houston Rockets 0-2 to the Golden State Warriors, or a hand, or hamstring injury. Like, stop me if you've heard me talk about this before. And it's frustrating when you're watching this team get constructed to go compete for a title, Gabe, and the same concerns with Chris Paul at this stage of the postseason, rear their ugly head. And now it's a do-or-die situation because you can't go down 0-3, even when the series is going to be at home for the next two games for Phoenix, and expect to rally back from that. This had to have been always the concern for the Suns when they traded for Kevin Durant, right? Because they, they traded away their depth, they traded away their best defensive player, and they pretty much went all in with a core four group of Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, KD, and Devin Booker. And as long as those four stayed healthy, you felt pretty good about your chances against anybody in the Western Conference. Well, not shockingly, Chris Paul, at 38 years old, is not healthy. And I'm, I'm not expecting him. If, if we're using the words in doubt, significant challenge for Friday's Game 3, I'm not expecting him to go out there and play. So... What, what what can the Suns do? They don't really have a backup point guard. Devin Booker becomes more of the ball handler. You need both him and KD to play tremendous games together at the same time, which seems to be a significant challenge against this Denver Nuggets team that they're going up against. I, I, I have a hard time seeing how the Phoenix Suns, at not full strength, are somehow going to win four 
out of five games in this series. And when you get the version of Nikola Jokic that we saw on Monday night, and that's I'm not trying to discredit anything he's done up until that point. He was a finalist for the MVP award. I know some people feel like he got robbed this year. And Joel Embiid, I think, is very a very deserving candidate. But you can understand the argument there when Jokic has been playing like this on a consistent basis. We just, frankly, don't talk about that part of the Western Conference all that much. They're a one seed for a reason. And this feels like a two, two-person team in Phoenix, whether it's Kevin Durant having want his night and Devin Booker being consistently awesome. That's the only way I can describe it because mm-hmm. he on the offensive end has been that and particularly on the defensive end has provided what the Suns don't have elsewhere. But we knew this was going to be a possibility. You and I sat here on ESPN Radio on this very show the day that Kevin Durant was traded from Brooklyn to Phoenix, and then Phoenix had to part with Michael Bridges and a handful of other role players that took away what they would be able to do on the defensive end. And I think when you lose your tertiary scorer, the third scorer, behind Kevin Durant, behind Devin Booker, you're left with not a lot of options because, you know, frankly... The rest of this team is lacking, and lacking in a very big way. You can't expect DeAndre Ayton chipping in 14 and Josh Okoge chipping in two points and expecting that's going to be enough to beat this Nuggets team. They showed they can keep pace with you and that it can be a high-scoring team the way that they were in Game 1 when absolutely nothing was in doubt. They've also showed you they can slow it down and adapt to the style that the Suns played when the Suns were forcing them into a very methodical, almost felt like molasses, old school style of basketball, and they can still put up nearly 100 points and beat you there. So I worry about it. I worry about Chris Paul's availability. To me, it does not sound promising when we're hearing that it's going to be a, quote, significant challenge for him to get back for game three. And to me, more than the scoring that Chris Paul provides, he's your primary ball handler. So now you're going to have to ask Devin Booker to do something that I mean, that, that's not what Devin Booker is. Devin Booker isn't a point guard, but out of necessity, this is now what you're going to have to ask him to do. And I don't know if that means him being more of a distributor and deferring to KD. I don't know what that necessarily looks like, but you are now asking one of your best players to go outside of his comfort zone. And to me, that can have a trickle-down effect that's not going to be positive. Tough road ahead for the Phoenix Suns as that series shifts home. Can argument be made for the Lakers being the best team remaining in the playoffs with Anthony Davis playing like this? I'm going to tell you that next, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.